Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to John chapter 4. I am extremely excited to share this with you today. I don't know what it was, but I think it's, 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 it's a privilege to teach, and it's a privilege to preach, because part of the privilege is that God teaches you and reveals things to you, and I look at it as a catch and release. I get it from God, and I give it out, but I like to get it, and sometimes I don't give it out as well as it was given to me. I understand that. So then I end up with all of these uh, leftovers. Oh, there's Adam. Um, I was probably helping his mom. But when I was studying this passage through the week, God just kept depositing things uh, into my heart that really spoke to me. And I hope it translates over. And this is going to be so familiar to you. You're going to know the story. But I really want to I really want to encapsulate or focus on just a couple main thoughts that I hope they really resonate with you and that you leave here encouraged and also with some practical shoes that you could just lace up and walk out the door and apply these things directly to your life as you go to work, school, play, whatever it is that you're going to do. As you walk with God, hopefully there's some things from this timeless event that could be given to you. So then in turn, you could uh, give it out to others as well. So if you're in John chapter 4, you could follow along on the screen or in your Bible, but we'll be starting in verse 46. We're picking it up right after Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well. Remember that. I don't want to go over it because we spent a couple weeks on um, on that event, but she had just gone uh, to evangelize the whole community And then they asked Jesus to abide with him a couple days. And many of them believed because of not only her word, but because of the living word himself, his word. And so we're coming off the tail end of that. And isn't it interesting that Jesus obliged them when they said, Jesus, can you just stay with us a couple days? And um, he did. This off-scouring, marginalized group that were considered the the social and religious rejects of the region. Jesus stays with them and hangs out with them. It's no wonder they said, hey, John the Baptist, he has a devil. He's too harsh. He was like the the hammer of the law. Remember, he got beheaded for that, calling out uh, the king for sleeping around. Jesus, on the other hand, he's hanging out with minority groups, with drunkards, with sinners, and they said, John's too strict, Jesus is too loose, and Jesus says, well, I piped, you didn't dance, we wept, you didn't mourn, and I'm, excuse the euphemism, but it's my takeaway is darned if you do, darned if you don't, you know what I mean. <laughs> excuse the euphemism. It's like you can't make everyone happy. You're either too right, you're too left, right? And so pick a lane and stay with it. I'm hanging with Jesus on this one. It's the lane I'm choosing. So here he is with this woman that was, you know, sleeping around. And though he doesn't condone it, he doesn't condemn her. And hopefully, because he loves her out of this behavior, that her belief in Jesus will then translate into her behavior that will reflect her belief in Jesus. 
So verse 46, on the tail end of that exchange. So Jesus came again unto Canaan of Galilee, uh, where he made water into wine. This is so magnificent. I could actually read these words. It's like high definition. Have you ever gone through... I call the old TVs with the, like an ant butt. Remember those? And you'd ever try to move those old TVs? They're like heavy, heavy, heavy. And the new flat screen TVs. And you get a new flat screen TV and you're like, you're seeing things that you've never seen before. This is my new flat screen TV. <laughs> yeah, it's 4K. So Jesus came to, Gal- or to Cana of Galilee where he made the water. Into- now, if I misread things, that's just my ignorance. I'm not going to blame that on eyesight. All right, so there's that too. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. We had heard that Jesus was come uh, out of Judea into Galilee. He went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. This is about a 25-mile uh, span here. For he was at the point of death. And Jesus said... Uh, then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but not much. And the nobleman said unto him, sir, come down or else my child will die. Jesus said unto him, go your way, your son lives. I love that. Go your way, your son lives. And the man believed. He believed. The word that the that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Look at that faith. 25 miles away, there's no MRI, there's no blood test, there's no COVID test. (laughs) There's no medical sense to this at all. There's no empirical studies that are done. Uh, There's not a case group, nothing. Jesus just speaks the word, And the great physician says, okay, go. And based on the living word, speaking the words of life that spoke everything into existence anyways, the guy just says, okay, I believe you. I believe you. And your beliefs affect your behavior. Because he believed, he behaved. And so Jesus said, believe and then go. And he does. And so, verse 51, and as he was now going, his servants met him, This is also how we know he's of nobility and royalty. And told him, saying, your son is alive. Then he inquired. He's running his own background check. He's doing his own data report. He's checking his hypothesis if he had one. Um, He's running his own metrics here. And he said this. He inquired and said of them, well, what hour began he to be healthy or to amend and uh, come back to life? And they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea unto Galilee. Well, what was the first miracle that he did there? Remember, John chapter 2, yeah, he turned the water into wine at the, the marriage there in Cana. And he's right back at that same place, which I think is very interesting. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple thoughts. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people, this banded group of believers that just come from all walks of life. And because we believe in who you are, but because on Sunday, the Lord's Day, we believe that 2,000 years ago you conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, and you rose up from the dead. You ascended and you promised to give us your spirit, 
And here we are. We read a book, 66 books called the Bible, and it, and it shows and tells the, the good news of who you are, what you came to do. And so as a demonstration outwardly of our faith, inwardly, we gather. And Lord, we gather not in vain. We gather because we're believers. And I just pray that um, this isn't just a ritual or a routine or a duty, but it's a delight to just be in the house of God with uh, fellow brothers and sisters. And I pray that you truly minister uh, to our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, Canaan was about 25 miles um, from Capernaum, and it would have taken a long time to get there. And so where the Bible says there was a certain nobleman in verse 46 whose son was sick, the Greek word translated nobleman is basilikos, basilikos, or baklava. No, I'm kidding. That's a Greek dessert. (laughs) Meaning a king and implies one connected in some way with royalty. It could have been Chusa from Luke 8.3, if you want to write that down or look at it right now, which would have been Herod's steward. Either way, he was a royalist or a Herodian connected to nobility. But I picked up this quote, and I want to bring it to your attention. The father was a nobleman, yet the son was sick. Honors and titles are no security. Uh, from When you see honors spelled with a U, you know that it's British of origin and it's either, but you know, so anyways, or it was written a long time ago. Anyways, uh, it's not a misspelling. It's just from England. Titles are no security from sickness and death. The greatest men must go themselves to God, must become beggars. And look at this quote. The best of men are still men at best. (laughs) I like that. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss saying or something. It's a real simple. I like simple quotes that are profound. Mark Twain was good at that too. He was just so good at that. The best of men are still men at best. So here he is probably at the top echelon of, you know, the socioeconomic status of the region. And yet he himself has to travel 25 miles because no doctors, no physicians could help him where he's at. And he's heard of Jesus. I don't know how, but the word and his fame is spread around. And so he seeks out Jesus, the great physician. And how does he even know that Jesus could heal him? He doesn't know, but he's going in faith. And so the best of men are still men at best. And the highest class of you know, nobility in his day and age was still, he became a beggar at the feet of the great physician. Then Jesus said unto him, well, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, I don't think Jesus is, is throwing a dig at him. I think he's making a point to the nation of Israel at large. Because check out 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, being you know, a converted Jew himself, makes this point as he reasoned with the Jews and Greeks quite often. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. So as we'll see today, Christ is not only the power of God and the wisdom of God, but Christ is the very will of God as well. So first point I'd like to look at in our message today 
is faith, not formula. Faith, not formula. See, if you could put all this stuff in a package, produce it, you would end up selling it. (laughs) You know, in Peter he says, watch out, and they're going to make merchandise of you Christians. And how many like televangelists or remember when there used to be Christian bookstores, you know? (laughs) I remember the prayer, prayer of Jabez came out, and there's just so many different things of what would Jesus do, and I'm not being critical of any of these, but how many bracelets and mugs and necklaces and hats and all this stuff can they sell? And if you do these certain things, it's almost like a lucky rabbit's foot. Then if you do this, this, and this, and you pray the prayer this way, and you have this, these steps to success and this formula and this method, then you'll get the health, wealth, and prosperity. And people line up and they buy that stuff. All I'm trying to say is if you do that, not a big deal. No, I don't, that's between you and God. Whoa, that makes me walk weird. Um, all I'm trying to say is what Jesus did is he didn't come with a formula. Jesus showed up with the Father, not a formula. He says, the miracles that I do, the power that I do, it's not me, but it's the Father So if he has to kneel down and write something in the ground and wait for the Father to tell him what to do, that's the way Jesus operated. He waited for instructions from on high. He didn't come with the formula, well, move aside, i got to do X, Y, and Z because, you know, it's linear and that's how it works. No, because we would just package that stuff and we wouldn't need faith. We'd just have the formula. Do you see what I'm saying? But he specifically yielded to the Father. So we know that because Jesus didn't heal the same way all of the time. Sometimes he healed people in person. Sometimes, in this case, he healed from afar. Sometimes he put hands on people. Sometimes he didn't. When Jesus healed the blind, sometimes he spoke it. Sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he spit. Remember, he made mud. and I think he did that two different occasions. So it's not a formula. Could you imagine being like a, one of these like, uh, evangelists that go around spitting in dirt and putting it on people's eyes? <laughs> How many people would line up for that one? Especially during COVID. You're like, hmm. I think I'll keep my bad eyesight and not get your nasty COVID, sir. <laughs> um, so they were miracles that healed the people. They weren't methods that healed him. So... I've said this before, but I'll say it again because I don't, I don't think everyone hears everything all the time. I sit in church. I sit in school. I know. I don't hear everything all the time. I'll just say it again. God never gave Israel the same battle plan twice. You want to know why? You, mar- you march around Jericho seven times seven. The very next city was Ai. You think that's going to work there? Think about it. You could just package that formula and just sell a seven times seven manual. You know, <laughs> take them to trumpet school, take them to walking school, teach them yoga to stretch out before they walk around the city. But it's seven times seven. It's going to work every time because it worked at Jericho. You're repackaging a formula. And the reason why God didn't give Israel the same battle plan, because once they did it one time where they trusted God when they didn't know it worked, now they don't have to trust God. Now they've got the formula. They don't need faith. They've got the formula. Do you see what I'm saying? So Jesus, of course he healed in different ways with different methods and different manners because you couldn't package that up and sell it. You needed faith. 
Israel needed to walk by faith. Why? So that God would get the glory, not the formula or the method. So God would get the glory. This is also why Israel um, was never allowed to store up a Costco-sized pallet of food in the wilderness when they were wandering around. Remember what they had to do? Even though they didn't really like the food that they got. (laughs) I mean, people were trying to store that stuff up so they wouldn't have to trust in God the next day. You know, you know a common criticism of Christians that trust in the Lord that walk by faith, at least that I've heard from works-based cults and religions? Oh, that's just easy believism. You Christians just, you call it all of faith and, you know, then you just trust in God. And you know how hard it is to trust in the Lord? Think about it. You get up in the morning, God gives you manna. It's just enough for that day. But now you have to trust in God again? I don't know about you, but that's hard to trust in God every single day. Wouldn't you rather just store it up and not trust in him at all? Yeah, right? I mean, why would you have a store up mentality? Because it's so easy to trust in the Lord? No, because it's difficult to trust in the Lord. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying it's difficult, as evidenced in the people in the Bible. They had a hard time uh, trusting in the Lord. But as our next point, you'll see that we walk by faith and not by sight, which is 2 Corinthians 5.7. Remember, Jesus' first miracle uh, was at the wedding of Cana when he, when he didn't heal anyone. His first miracle wasn't healing, but he provided like a, almost like a, a, a temporary pleasure, if you would, for the people at this wedding. Um, and he spared and saved the host of the wedding with shame off you rather than shame on you for not calculating the right amount of, you know, beverages for the people because the, you know, the wedding feast was a week long and they ran out. So Jesus turned the water into wine to um, kind of come his coming out miracle, uh, which I think is interesting because first people in the Bible, husband and wife, wedding. Last picture in the Bible, a bride in the church, wedding. Jesus' first miracle at a wedding. There's something to it. So at this wedding, his first miracle, he turns the water into wine and shame off them and kind of becomes the host, if you would, almost kind of, kind of typifying of what he came for to begin with. But I was thinking about this. If we walk by faith and not by sight. So these guys... They put water in these pots, and who knows the, like the cleanliness of this water, right? So they put water in these pots, and Jesus says, fill these up, and then walk them over to the master, or the, the host of the wedding. What are you thinking if you're a, if you're a servant? You've, you can't taste it. You can't see it. Are you going to be humiliated or even potentially fired when you show up to the master and you've just got these dirty pots of water. That's almost insulting if you think about it. So they fill it up with water and they're walking. We walk by faith and not by sight. And by the time they get there, it's as if it was aged wine that would sell for hundreds of dollars a bottle. Just saying. It was the better wine. It was aged, which makes the miracle even more 
impressive, right? Because it didn't have time to age. And it was water. And they were walking, and by the time they got there, they set it down in faith. Well, what is this guy doing, this nobleman? The Bible, Jesus tells him to go, and as he was walking, he's walking, I'm walking here. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Rose, I didn't mean to offend your, your people and your culture <laughs> of New York. Please forgive me. Uh, <laughs> it's like, that's a terrible rendition. We do it way better. Um, but as he's walking back to Capernaum, and he's probably not walking. He's, I don't know how he's traveling. But he had to walk away from the presence of Jesus. Those are steps of faith. And as he's traveling, his servants walk up to him and they confirm what he originally believed when he left the presence of Jesus and walked away from Jesus and met them somewhere in between Cana and Capernaum. And, the, and it was confirmed that his walk of faith was real. Was real. Okay? So, what's the point then? Also, I want to make this uh, observation. Remember the fishing nets? Remember Jesus is talking to professional fishermen? It'd be like me going out with Eric, which that wouldn't be too bad, Eric, by the way. And he's getting skunked on one side, and, you know, it's only my, like, third time fishing in the ocean. And Eric's, like, up to, like, three or four hundred times. And I'm like, oh, you're, I think it's your wrist, your posture. Um, do you got sunscreen on? And um, what depth are you? Try the other side of the boat, you know, and it would just be insulting. <laughs> Jesus who made the water, made the fish. Of course, these guys don't know all of that yet. He just tells them they've been toiling all day, and he says, try it on the, the other side of the boat. And what do they do? By faith. And the boat fills up more than they've ever caught in their whole entire fishing career. So all I'm trying to say is faith isn't always logical. Adam and I are having this conversation, and the reason why I said, is Adam here? Is Adam here? is because, um, good to see you, uh, buddy. Um, this, not today, but this coming Sunday will be Adam's last Sunday, not forever, but for a few months. He's going up to Oakhurst to be with his grandmother and grandfather, and he's going to help out um, his grandpa Bob with uh, Sandy, which is Jennifer's mom, as she's struggling, struggling with Alzheimer's and her physical needs um, and stuff like that. And uh, my father-in-law still pastors the church there, and he's having a hard time of being full-time caregiver to his wife and pastoring and all of his other responsibilities. So Adam said he would go up uh, during this time of COVID. He didn't want to go back to school uh, this semester, so that's what he's going to be doing. So uh, we're talking about that, and Adam stepping out in faith, not knowing but believing the Lord, uh, trusting that God's word is a lamp unto his feet and a lamp unto his path. I think there's a couple pictures that go along with that. Cast your nets. There's this other one. Walking by faith. 
God's word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. But you know that takes steps, right? If he's going to be a light unto your feet, it takes steps. If you're in a jazzy or an electric car, it takes rolling forward, right? Don't think that you need to physically walk. However you get around, it's not being stationary. It's going in faith and stepping out in faith. But oftentimes, we may be paralyzed in fear rather than be propelled by faith. This guy could have been so scared that his son would have died that he, maybe he wouldn't have even left Capernaum. He would just would have stayed and just, you know, well, that's it. My fate is sealed. Uh, but the same way we are saved initially is the same way we walk daily. And it's by faith. And it's a walk. It's an active participation. We walk by faith. We, we take one step in faith, another step in faith, and the whole thing isn't illuminated all the way, but each time you take a step, it's like there's more illumination to the path as you step out and walk uh, by faith. So God delights in our faith, and He is the Lord and is our faithful Father. We could trust in Him. You know, I would hate it, and I'm sure you would too, if your own kids were too scared to approach you or too scared of you, or too fretful to even trust you. Wouldn't that be terrible if your kids um, just said, I don't, just something about you, I just don't trust you. Um, I d- or, you know, if you're perceived as always irritable and angry, just leave dad alone. You can't approach him. It might set him off, right? Could you imagine if that's how God was? Just, I know some people project that on God, but is that who God really is? Is that who he is in the Bible? Luke chapter 9, look at this, or Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus says, Then I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. For everyone that asks, receive. And he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, will he give him a stone? Here you go, Adam. Rock on, buddy. <laughs> if he um, asks for a fish, we give him a serpent. If he asks for an egg, <laughs> would he give him a scorpion? No. He, I know you wanted an omelet or a breakfast burrito, but here's a scorpion sandwich instead. If you then, being evil, meaning I'm, a, I'm sinful, right? If I'm a sinful, fallen creation, and so are you, if, if I'm in that condition, but I would still give good gifts unto my kids, look at this phrase. How much more your heavenly Father? And just don't stress about the timing because this is before the cross. After the cross, of course, he gives the Spirit to everyone that believes. But how much more your Father? If you being evil still do great things to your kids, Right? How much more your Father? How much more your Heavenly Father? Luke 12, 31. But rather seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I like this next phrase. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith it is impossible to please God. For anyone that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You want to please God? 
You walk by faith. You trust in God. Delight in the Father. He's not setting you up for disaster or for failure. You don't need to be, you know, approaching and trepidation and like, like you're going to bother God or irritate God. He delights. It gives him good pleasure that you would ask and trust and seek and knock. Um, and he, if you're evil and you want to give good things to your kids, how much more would God? So, second point, we'll move along faster. The will of God is a someone, not a something. It's not a system, in other words. Christ gave his life for us to put his life in us, to live his life through us. Uh, one of my all-time favorite verses, because I think it says so much in one verse, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. You could even just rest on that comma. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, this is your current everyday life, I live it by faith. The life I live in now, in my, my current state, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have an illustration, I think. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Sailboat Steve. So Steve, um, he's an interesting guy. He believed in a minimalist way of living. Um, he's, I've been over to his house a few times, and he said, look, Neil, I have nothing. I have nothing in my fridge. All I have is a mattress, a Bible, a flashlight, and he, that's all he had, and, and some clothes. And it was clean. It was like a really clean place. And um, I would work on my laptop at the public library or at Barnes & Noble. He would come and join me often, and he's like, what's your favorite verse today or this week or whatever? I would tell him, and then he would, he would, he would draw me on these big, he would buy the paper himself too, um, poster size boards, and he would uh, draw me sailboats or airplanes, and he'd put scriptures and hidden messages in these pictures. And I saved all of them. Remember Steve, Adam, and all the pictures he would draw me? Um, so this is Sailboat Steve. And he really loved sailboats, and he wanted to go to Hawaii. And he said, Neil, would it be the will of God for me to go to Hawaii? And I knew where he was going with this because I know he felt like because he desired it and because it seemed like a, you know, it's a vacation destination, it seemed like God wouldn't want that for him, you know? And so I knew where his wheels were turning, like if it's something good, definitely God doesn't want it for you type of thing. And I asked him, I said, Steve, so let me get this straight. Everywhere you go, you share Christ. You share Christ with me, even though you know I'm a Christian. You share Christ with everyone. He just, his thing was like minimalist. Every, and he would be out in the public. He'd take public transportation. He didn't own a car. Wherever he went, his favorite amp was a Fender Twin Reverb, by the way. Um, everywhere he went was like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I said, Steve, let me ask you this. So you, if you go to Hawaii and you, do, you think that it's against God's will, <clears throat> If you were to go there, would you live from the life of Christ and walk in the Spirit and share Jesus in that geography? Yes or no? And he said, yes. I said, interesting. So could it be that the will of God is not a somewhere, but a someone? I said, let me ask you this. So if you're in Hawaii, <laughs> if you're in Hawaii 
and you're living from the life of Jesus, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me, the life which I now live, and if you're allowing Jesus to live his life through you, would he lead you to sin in Hawaii if Jesus is living through you? Would he live you to, lead you to be selfish? Would he lead you to uh, not read the Bible, not go to church? Uh, would he lead you to live out of the flesh or to live out of the Spirit? And he said, I believe he would lead me to live out of the Spirit. And I said, interesting. So maybe the will of God is not a something or a system. Maybe it's a someone, Jesus. And so we tried to hash that out. And so I was just trying to help him because you know how sometimes people get really stressed out about the will of God if they're in it or out of it? I remember that even to the point of like picking bread. You ever get so weird about the will of God that you get, get so almost superstitious or what's the word? Um, you know, you could be staring at a grocery. Is it brown rice or white rice? Is it, What's the will of God? What's the will of God? Ah! If you eat brown rice, are you going to live out of the flesh and choose to sin? Or if you eat white rice, are you going to choose to like walk after the flesh and sin it's not the will of god's not a something it's a someone now apply the someone would that someone named jesus who is the will of god would he lead you to steal that's not the will of god would he lead you to commit adultery would he lead you to lie at work or to gossip around the you know the what do they call it the water station at work that's not the life of jesus so the life of Jesus doesn't contradict the will of God because Jesus is the will of God. He will never lead you to live contrary to his life when you choose to appropriate the not I, but Christ who lives in me approach to life. So living from faith by the life of Christ living in you and through you is the will of God. So Christ is the will of God appropriating his life uh, on a moment-by-moment basis, there we go, is the Christian life, and it's universal. We don't live the Christian life. The Lord Jesus Christ is of the Christian's life. Now, that brings me to another point. Spiritual versus secular. Would me taking my family to Catalina Island for Chloe's birthday, which we did last week, and <laughs> as we are filled with the Spirit, Everyone's full of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that everyone lives from the Spirit or walks after the Spirit, but you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You could grieve Him or quench Him, um, but He's always with you. He doesn't, like, he doesn't stay in Newport and be like, Bon voyage, hope you guys come back, okay? <laughs> you know. So you get on the boat with Jesus. You cross the little, what, 20-something miles. Which, hey, that's like Canaan to Capernaum. You cross you know, the 22 miles or whatever it is to Catalina. All I'm trying to say is, if I'm on the boat and the Lord leads me to share the gospel with someone, right? Is it more or less spiritual or less the will of God for me to do that with my family than to take them to a mission trip to Mexico? Look, I could go to Mexico with Jesus in the Spirit of God, or I could go to Catalina with the Spirit of God. 
The will of God is not a somewhere, it's a someone. If I go to Catalina with my family and Jesus says, Neil, I want you to share Christ with that person, will of God. Look, I could go to Mexico and just be in the flesh and be like, boy, I bet people will be impressed with these pictures, right? But they'll be impressed with this like story of all these orphanages that we built and everything, and you could do that totally out of the flesh. I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. All I'm saying is our perspective needs to be the will of God as a someone. It's the Lord Jesus. So Jesus wasn't living out of a formula. He was living by faith in the Father. And he says, anything that he tells me to do, where he tells me to go, when he tells me to stop, I'll stop. If he tells me to rest, which some people think is unspiritual, Jesus sequestered. He vacated sometimes. When he told him to go, he was probably the busiest person you'll ever see in the ministry. He went, he went, he went. He was tired. He got hungry. Uh, He wept at times. You could see the humanity of Christ, but in his humanity, you could see him trusting in the divinity of the Father. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. He could have operated independently, but he operated totally dependent on the Spirit of the Lord, joined with his Spirit as he walked in faith. That's the example of how how to live the Christian life, the life of Christ, how he lived it. I'll never turn water into wine, but I could live the way Jesus lived. Father, if you want to speak to me and through me to this person or do this or that, I will do it. I want to be available. Okay? So the last point, Jesus came to give, Jesus just came for life. So in our text where we started, and I'll wrap this up here real quick. Jesus said unto him to the, the nobleman, Go your way, your son is alive. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants of the nobleman came and met him, told him, saying, Your son lives. And he inquired of them what hour it had begun to come back to life. And they said unto him, Yesterday, the seventh hour. So the father knew it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Your son is alive. And he himself believed. And his whole house, it's like a an effect there, a trickle-down, or whatever that's called, effect. This, again, is the second miracle that Jesus did. So, look at our banner. Jesus plus nothing, it was everything for life. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Look at the theme that Victoria made. Life. L-I-F-E, and we study love, identity, freedom, encounter, but it's life. So none of the miracles that Jesus did bedazzled people or was designed to bedazzle people or to be some sort of David Copperfield magic show, you know. Jesus wasn't doing that. Oftentimes they were kind of under the radar. Remember, a lot of times he'd heal people and he'd say, go tell no one. Right? He'd do that. Kind of flying under the radar. He didn't want all the, all the limelight. He didn't want a YouTube channel. You know? Or a like to reach over 10,000 likes on Instagram. He wasn't interested in that. He, because it wasn't the miracle necessarily. It was that he came to give life. And so, again, I'll point out John's summary of his gospel. And I think this says it well. John chapter 20, verse 30. You'll see it up on the screen. And many other signs. Truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, 
That, what does that tell you? We could have went on and on and on with all the miracles because there was plenty of them. And he said, there's many more, but these are written. So he, John handpicks these that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Why? The miracles are not just about the miracles themselves. It's about the authority that Jesus truly has. That if he has power over physical life, that means he also has power and authority over spiritual and eternal life. If you could believe him in one area, you could believe him in the other. Do you believe he could give you life, life eternal? Look at what Jesus said he came to do. John 10, 10, this will be the last verse that we'll look at. The thief comes not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. You know when you're spiritually testing things out? This is a good way to test it. Does this smell of death? Does this reek of flesh? I almost sound like a Lord of the Rings thing. (laughs) Give us man flesh to eat. But does it stink of something that doesn't have life? You know what's very compelling? Let me get kind of graphic with you real quick. You know Beelzebub in the Bible is the Lord of the Flies? I never thought about this. But part of the crucifixion was they would leave the bodies up to rot and there would be so many flies on the victim's face that they couldn't even distinguish who it was because they're eating the body. Could it be Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, the demonic forces that attach and identify themselves to death? We're gathering around Jesus. There's a lot going on there that we don't know about behind the scenes. But the thief comes to bring death. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep and I give unto them eternal life and they they shall never perish. Neither shall many any pluck them out of my hand. Um, in conclusion then, let's wrap this up. Concluding thoughts. Let me ask you this. Have you received the free gift of eternal life in Christ? If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd be in the presence of God? Yes or no? I know, you know, you can look around and say, well, I know everyone here, everyone's a Christian. That's fine. Everyone needs to do their own, you know, their own inventory. And it's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. You could just say, Jesus, save me a sinner, like the thief on the cross. Uh, And he'll say, today you'll be with me. So if you have his life, though, are we daily living from his life? Or are we paralyzed by fear Or you could take it another way and be propelled by faith. You know, um, Adam could say, I don't want to step out. I just want to, I just want to do this. Or anyone could say that. Um, Or you just go in faith. You just go in faith. But we don't have faith in a formula, but in the Father. And can we step out and start walking by faith and not by sight? What is it that we struggle with trusting God with the most. 
I'm going to let you just answer that yourself. Because maybe when I was thinking about this, I was thinking maybe there's someone here that there's something. I don't want to be kind of like there's someone here that has back pain. We all do, right? But maybe there's someone here that's just struggling with something to trust God in, to trust God with, right? And I'm not saying that's a formula, like do this, this, and this, and it'll work out, and you'll get the health, wealth, and the prosperity that you're looking for. I don't know what it is. But just as those guys carried the water pots, they didn't know either. Just as the nobleman said, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the doctor's report, He doesn't have anything, the lab results. He's just walking by faith to see if his son is actually alive as Jesus promised. So, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. We don't need to to project onto God what maybe our earthly fathers have taught us about fatherhood. Right? He's not, we're being evil, still do all right, but God's perfect and he loves you. So with all that said, church, let's stand and let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Miss Debbie could come and I like that she plays uh, music as we uh, say our goodbyes. But hopefully something today was very practical and, and that you could just trust in the Lord. He's good. He's, he's worthy to be trusted. We don't have a formula so that when things do come to pass, we could say, glory be to God, because I, I didn't have it figured out. I didn't, all I was doing was trusting in the Lord. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, uh, may today be the day where they start that eternal, loving, dynamic, vibrant love relationship with you that will last throughout all time and in eternity. For those of us that do know you, Whatever you taught us by your Spirit that abides within, may we leave here in faith, walking in faith, knowing that we could trust in the Father. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.